And welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, also from the Next Real Film Podcast. Today, we're talking about Minute 12, which begins with Stephen Bucky and ends with Howard Stark. Joining us on the show today from Seasons 2 and 3 of Marvel Movie Minute, it is Rob Cabasco and Kyle Olson. And gentlemen, I have to think, watching this minute, <laughs> this is why they picked this week. <laughs> so we're back at an expo. Yay! I know how much you two love talking about expos. <laughs> what? It's almost like we planned it that way. <laughs> Good Lord, I didn't even notice he's wearing the Stark Expo yes. shirt. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Apropos, 74, Expo That's 74. Right. 74, Expo That's 74. Fantastic. Before we get to that, let's just wrap up our time in the alley. We've got the close of the scene here, Captain America, or I should say Steve Rogers. Uh, he is, uh, you know, says he should be going. This is that bit where, you know, Bucky and, and Steve, you know, their buddy Steve is feeling uh, like very upset that he can't go. He's gone through all this stuff all, all day today. And now... Uh, Bucky is kind of trying to change things, right? He's like, maybe we can change the direction of this conversation. Let's perk things up a little bit. It's my last night. Let's get you cleaned up because we're going to go to the future. It's a great little transition. It's a, it's a character kind of thing. Like he wants to go and, and cheer Steve up. He wants to go have some fun because it is his last night here in the States. And they're off to, as we find out, the expo. Uh, we see the newspaper. Gentlemen, what do you want? What do you have to say about this uh, reveal of where we're going? The World Exposition of Tomorrow, 1943. This is why you hire a Joe Johnston. Because he, I mean, from from his his record with uh, all the Indiana Jones stuff and Rocketeer, like what a gorgeous transition yes. of like throwing the thing up and then doing the classic film fade to the actual location. Like, oh man, come on, that's I love it. From Globe and Monorail to Globe and Monorail, Rob, what do you think? Oh no! Immediately, you get that nostalgia that you're supposed to get from the scene. Um, this is where I think you really get transported to the era mm-hmm. of of the movie, which I think is which is necessary. Uh, and 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 it's and it's a great intro. I mean, one only because of our love for all things Stark and our love for the lore of this. This is a really cool place to get into because of its connection to the Stark Expo. Yeah. So that that globe, Rob. I feel like there's something important about that globe. What is that? Flushing? Does that come back is... at some point? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Flushing, isn't that? Isn't that yeah. the place? Flushing. Yeah. yeah. Flushing Tommy Meadows, Jones, Corona Park. Will Smith. Mm-hmm. New York. No, I totally... Oh, no. Not that. Sorry. I mean, yes, that. Yes, <laughs> no, that. No, but I meant the other thing. <laughs> yes. Now, okay. So let's get this out of the way. In the MCU, this expo, the 1943 World Expo- Exposition of Tomorrow, is it is replaced by the Stark Expo. Yes. Like in the continuity of this. And is it and it and there is a gap? Like it goes from forty three, this is the last one, and then the next one is the expo in seventy four. Correct. According to my my examination of the extended lore. I don't know if right. you guys Same. saw anything right. different. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah, couldn't so, yeah. find any explanation what I mean, other than World the World War Two. Why did it wait so long? What happened? Uh and I think he was the I think we know where he was and what he right. was doing. But I mean, nothing else came up like nobody like I just thought that was interesting, like that, you know, in this in this universe, that there was just nothing for what 
30 years. It does seem like one of those odd things. Like, is it just, is it only there because we needed it to be there for, right. for Howard Stark to be doing his stuff? And so therefore it's only now and then, you know, is it one of those weird things? Uh, it's a, it's a hole because it yeah. didn't need to be filled. I mean, I get yeah. it. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How, how well do you feel like you track, uh, international expos? <laughs> Right, like right, well, like right we, now. We well, currently, we actually did a bunch of research on this at yeah, the sure. time, though, because we wanted to sort of know what it was based on. And like, even if you watch Tomorrowland, you get a sense of like what it was like in sort of the yeah. '60s, uh, which right. apparently didn't happen here. What's really interesting is the uh, there were a number of major global expos in the 30s and 40s. And leading up the late 30s, they all flew under the Nazi flag. There was the International Hunting Exposition in Berlin, another in Dusseldorf, Germany, and Berlin in 38, the International Handiwerks Exposition. Uh, these all of these like year long, massive uh, expositions through the the uh, late 30s and then 1939 to 1940 New York and San Francisco had the the New York World's Fair and the Golden Gate International Exposition for you know two straight years and that all sort of brings us into the the 40s where uh, obviously uh, Germany decided to stop doing world's fairs and uh, they were taken over by us and and, and Tokyo and Los Angeles. So I think I, I just find that an interesting sort of overlay on top of the movie, again, tying it to the kind of reality of uh, what was going on. There were still a lot of these things, uh, you know, going on, especially in Japan and China and uh, Rome and Stockholm that were, you know, cause for great development and this kind of, I don't know if there were like 24-7 fireworks, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it I, I think it's fascinating. And I don't, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm not a student of international expositions writ large, but this period was busy with them. Well, you could go next year to the Expo 2023 in Argentina <laughs> if you yeah. are so inclined. I did they manage do still happen to periodically. Shanghai's uh, Expo 2010. Uh, had a, caused a lot of really interesting development. And when I was in Shanghai, we saw many of the facilities that were developed for the Expo 2010, and they look like this. Oh. Like, that it's a model. <laughs> Take this and put, like, a pagoda on it, and you have uh, you have uh, the Shanghai. It's massive, massive infrastructure. Uh, and so many flags. <laughs> oh, sure. So many yeah. Flags. Well, yeah, so it's I mean, really interesting. Well, it's still Flag Day, so I mean that's a yes, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. okay, right? I mean, when you look when you look at expos in general, like I always remember, um, I, I think when I was in middle school or something, this is like eighty early eighties. Knoxville, Tennessee, was a site of a World's Fair, mm -hmm. and and I remember the stamp, so that's how I remember this. But I really have always wondered, like, once Epcot opened. Yeah. Didn't yeah. everybody just feel like, well, that's that's the World's Epcot Fair. Epcot is the World's Fair. Now. Right? Yeah. Got, yeah. right? It's a perma World's Fair, right? Right. Yeah. It does feel that way. Like when you go there, you've got the big, uh, you know, the big golf ball, as they like to call it. And just mm -hmm. like all the stuff with the countries, it does feel very expo-ish. And it does feel like a way for, for them to create that kind of feel. It's That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Um, this is very much patterned after the New York World's Fair, which the theme was building the world of tomorrow from 1939, 1940. 
obviously again date wise things are a little a little off but you know it's this is earth 616 time so mm-hmm. uh, it is what it is the and the unisphere i mean you guys talked about the unisphere a lot in iron man 2 cuz obviously it was still there yep Let's talk about just the the other things that we're seeing as we're kind of looking around here. It's fantastic design. We've kind of got this Art Deco stuff. Uh, there's a Modern Marvels uh, building that they go into. And inside this building, uh, there are a lot of things that we see here. Um, let's start with, well, let's start with television because we're going to get to some bigger ones. The, the, on the very far left, you just see tell. O-Vision, as in, you know, smell-o-vision sort of thing. And it's a wall of screens. Um, I just thought this was a really fun, like, way to kind of say, the future is coming, and it's going to be these little boxes that you have in your house. In uh, full color! In full, yes. <laughs> uh, you, you, right, you see a person on the screen. It made me wonder if it was a person who was watching and there was a camera, you know, oh. those things where there's a camera and you, yeah. you're projected up onto the big image up there. Yeah. Um, that's a fun one. In between that, you see Stark Industries. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. The one I want to focus on with you two, because I know or all three of you are going to have a lot to say, Dr. Phineas Horton presents The Synthetic Man. This is a big yes. display that we pass by. It's it's kind of like, it almost looks like a glass capsule uh, with a bunch of like electrodes pro- poking out of the top. And there's a figure of a man inside in a red suit and uh, all lit up. Um, let's talk about this because this is a fantastic little Easter egg dropped in here. Yeah, this is this is some old school Marvel stuff. This is this is what's super fun about having this movie set in the forties because that is Jim Hammond, the Human Torch, not the one that you know the from original. the Fantastic Four, but the original Human Torch. Yeah, he was a a hero back from this time. He made his first appearance in Marvel Comics number one when it was still being published wow. by. Um, Timely comics. Therefore, they had, you know, it was became so popular. They changed the whole name of the company for it. Uh, in that issue, also Namor the Submariner made his appearance. Uh, right. So, our friend Jim uh, here was created by Carl Burgos, uh, who interesting in a, in a weird bit of a synergy. Right, as you go by the timeline, right now. Carl is actually serving in World War II. <laughs> oh, so, wow. <laughs> so the man who created essentially this this character is overseas at this point fighting the Nazis. Wow. As most as a lot of the the people were. Even even Stan Lee was, you know, technically he was he was off over there too. Um uh, well, I'm going to talk about what Stan was doing uh, in, in, a, in a future minute, so look forward to that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, he was one of the one of Marvel's first sort of heroes. Like he was, you know, it basically had like flame powers and stuff. And he had a sidekick too. His sidekick's name was Toro. No, he basically oh. a teenage boy who also had fire powers. Like so, the two of them would be like, streaking through the sky. So eventually, he formed uh, the Invaders, which was the team that was it was Cap, Bucky, Namor, and him. They were the original four members of the Invaders, and they were a super team fighting the Nazis, you know, all through here. Uh, eventually, that team would expand to include, I just wanted to do this because I love these names, uh, Union Jack, one of my favorite characters of all time, Spitfire, uh, Blazing Skull, Silver Scorpion, and the speedster known as the Wizard. <sighs> Uh, yes, chills. his costume was bright yellow. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I just I love that. I mean, uh, I, uh, he is actually uh, Jim Hammond. The Human Torch has made multiple returns. He's been in Marvel Comics a bunch of times, so he, he goes away and comes back and goes away and comes back. Um, if you would like to hear sort of a dramatization of his first appearance, uh, you can read Marvels. 
by uh, Kurt Busick and Alex Ross. is a great thing in there. And they actually did a wonderful podcast uh, audio drama of Marvels, and they dramatize the moment where Jim Hammond sort of first shows up and makes his appearance in that. And it's, they do a really good job of that, too. Wow. So there's your, there's your corner of Marvel history. Yeah, it's it's uh, very exciting. And my understanding is the the this particular character, his body was later used in the Mar- Marvel universe to create the Vision. Is that right? Mm, it, the timeline gets a little wonky there. Yeah, that was really thought, but then later on, that was somebody else wrote that that's not actually what happened. So yeah, <laughs> of course not. Yeah, it gets a, a, it gets a little duplicate. Gets a little, gets a little hyper time <laughs> in there, but yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's sort of connected to it. But it kind of depends on on who's writing it at the time. Now, now I understand the design of what we're looking at here of him inside this capsule is that this vacuum tube thing is designed to take all the oxygen out because when he's ex- when this particular human torch is exposed to oxygen, uh, he bursts into flames. And so he had this container he would go into that would suck the oxygen out to put him out. Is that is that an accurate description of what we're looking at here? That's that's correct. Yeah, because in his first appearance. They like make his big debut, and he's covered in Horton particles. I think they call because God bless Stanley. <laughs> of course they are. Uh, <laughs> uh, when he's supposed to air, something becomes, a, and everybody freaked out because suddenly there was a man on fire. Even though he was like, "I'm fine, it's a, I'm fine," but everybody's like, "Ah, man on fire, get water." I I guess I I, I guess so. I know this is the synthetic man is modeled after Human Torch, but I'm. Is this is this display supposed to do anything? I don't know. This is one of those you know uh, things that they put as an Easter egg, and they never sort of went back to it. I'm like, is that really him? Like, is that actually like before they turn him on? Like he's, or is it just yeah a mannequin? He in the looks outfit, like uh, you know? he looks like uh, his head is wooden. Yeah, it does not look like a real a real boy. It's Pinocchio torch. Yeah, well, because wasn't he an android originally? Like yes. The, yes. that the professor made. So I guess that's. I mean, if we're calling him the synthetic man, I guess that's kind of what. Yeah, they're trying to say here. But yeah, I I didn't get a sense. This was a confusing thing because I didn't get a sense looking at this that this was the real guy, the yeah. real synthetic man. A, this more is like just a, a display. display. <laughs> yeah, kind of like what you would just see. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking like this is what you might buy at the at the stark expo store <laughs> you could you could wear one of these but it's Get your t-shirts small. now <laughs> yeah now is this the the placement of this is this is this like a dual homage like i mean right i mean like this is an homage not only to the character but it's also an homage to chris evans yeah how so because chris, chris evans played the human torch Oh, yeah, okay. But but they don't right. have any I mean there's no fire stuff around it. You'd have to you'd have to really know to know. Oh, well no, but that's what I think it is though, right? I mean like it's kind of cool that it has that duality because I mean, yeah. yeah, okay. All right. So is that an easter egg inside an easter egg? Yeah. Are we like <laughs> Yeah, I think it's turtles all the way. I'm yeah. in favor of it. I like it, Rob. I like <laughs> Thank it. You. And I'm glad you're here. Well, I, I like should note that in the Marvel in the Marvel Studios 10th anniversary two volume tome They had a little paragraph that talked about it and said everything that Kyle said, ending with, uh, and Johnny Storm adopted the name as a member of the Fantastic Four. Chris Evans played the latter role in the two films, which is acknowledging it, obviously, there as well. Yeah. Obviously, no. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Um. All right, so that's that. Then we have kind of on the back right, we have I can't you can't see the full sign something the Earth's treasures 
it looks like the, there's a huge model in the middle of like a cutaway of the earth, which is actually kind of cool. It's got like the, the molten core and the different layers and everything. So I would, I don't know, I, I guess like on the images around it, you can see like uh, oil, um, oil drills and, and kind of that sort of thing. So I guess that this is a display of like, this is what we're going to do to our planet to <laughs> suck all the oil out of it. And yeah. one of those sorts of displays that look at what we can harness look at the power yeah. we can harness <laughs> yeah which is what all of these and there will be no consequences right no consequences yeah not. these are all celebrations of <laughs> of what the technology is going to do to uh, to make things better without talking about all the destruction that they may cause come back to next year's expo so you can see how i'll fix it <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> we have lots of extras wandering around in here and of course we do uh come up on uh we've met these two girls we didn't talk about the two girls so uh, uh yes. we have this thing where steve or bucky has uh two girls that he is uh ready to hook uh, them up with um it is yeah so it's bonnie and connie bonnie and connie right bonnie Connie is uh, Jenna Louise Coleman. Bonnie is Sophie. How do you say that last name? Col Colcoon? I couldn't find out how to pronounce it either, but yeah, Colquhoun. Yeah. C O L Q U H O U N. Yeah. Colquhoun. Last name. Let me see. Yeah. Colquhoun. It's actually Colquhoun. Colquhoun. Oh, okay. There oh, it is. Wouldn't have gotten okay. there. Yeah. No. The Q U so, is silent. Yeah. Quite silent Q. That's a Monty Python sketch right there. Uh, Connie and Bonnie, we have we have our two guys. Now, do you two, are you two familiar with either of these actresses? I feel like there's one that you're both going to say yes one. to. Yes. Yeah. Rob, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about Jenna Coleman? So, uh, yeah, yeah, if you're a fan of Doctor Who, she is, as everyone probably knows who's a fan, the Impossible Girl. She came in to uh, what Matt Smith's, mm -hmm. one of his uh, seasons, his last season, I believe, as the Doctor, yes. his last full yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, and then carried through to Peter Capaldi seasons uh, during his time as the Twelfth Doctor, and uh, yeah, I, you know what? I love her. I think she's one of the better companions. Your mileage will vary on that, uh, <laughs> but she's incredibly well known in that in that genre. She'll hopefully be back too for like an upcoming episode when the BBC celebrates its centenary and the show celebrates its sixtieth. Uh, we hope to see her again. And she is uh, she's got a bunch of new projects coming up. Yeah, she. By the time you hear this, actually, it might you might actually be watching her in the Sandman. Yeah, right. From Neil Gaiman's Immortal Comics on Netflix, she is playing Joanna Constantine, not Constantine, Constantine. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting. I, I'm curious to see how that translates. Yeah, uh, it should be fun. Hopefully, I mean, I, I I want them to do it right, so we'll see. Yeah, and so Sophie hasn't had quite the same amount of uh, of, of nerddom <laughs> that she's been associated with, but she has actually more credits on IMDb, so she is a, a, a very successful working actress uh, in the UK. Uh, would you would you would you like to play the IMDb game? No, no. Oh, no. so you don't know. I don't think you nope. have heard of most of those because they haven't made their way across the pond. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of British stuff yeah. that they're uh, that they're in. Um, a lot of, but a lot. You want to try that again without quite the same amount of derision in your voice? When <laughs> you say hey, this is Captain America. <laughs> yeah, lest we forget, Peggy Carter would be ashamed of you right now. <laughs> That's a future uh, episode. She's not here yet. She's not here. Not here yet. She's not here yet. 
Oh man! So Sophie Calhoun, she's playing uh, the the woman that uh, Bucky's trying to hook Steve up with. That's Bonnie, and uh, Bucky is with Connie. Now the four of them are walking uh, kind of through this whole thing. We're kind of getting a tour of it th- through their eyes as they're walking. At some point, we don't see when or where, but Steve has bought some peanuts. He has a bag of peanuts. We'll come back to that in a later. But I mean, minute. really, do you need to know anything else? He has a tiny yeah. little bag of peanuts. He's going to get nothing. <laughs> Tiny He's going nowhere tonight, kids. It's, it's like watching He's, Charlie Brown. Yeah. It's so hard to watch. Yes. It is such an ang- anxious minute yeah. watching him behind the three of them. Like yes. They don't ever call it the fourth wheel. And yet uh-huh. here he is uh-huh. as a fourth wheel. And it's deeply uh, disquieting. I do not like watching where he is in the blocking of this scene. He doesn't seem to care. He, oh, yeah, he seems well. I, I think that it's not that he doesn't care. I feel like this is what Steve is used to in these yeah. sorts of situations. That's my read. Um, Rob and Kyle, what do you two think of the shrinking of, uh, well, not just the shrinking, but all the different work that went into creating puny Steve? Yeah, well, I, I say, I mean, I'm sure you talked about, but big shout out to Leander Dini. I mean, like that dude did so much work and gets so little credit for that. Uh, I mean, he is he is the Heidi moneymaker of this movie. Like he is is a fundamental part of why this works. It's amazing it holds up so well that you still watch it and you you don't think about the fact that they shot it multiple times and there's another person mimicking performance and they're putting the head of another actor on a different actor and scaling it down. I mean. You just accept the fact that that's actually Chris Evans handing the, you know, reaching out with the peanuts or, or, or walking right next to Sebastian Sand, and he absolutely was not. It's, it's amazing. They have a great uh, page in that two-volume set I mentioned, uh, and it's titled The Skinny Steve Conundrum. Mm. And they talk about how at the earliest stages of the movie, this was something that they had – this was a nut they had to crack. No pun intended with the bag of peanuts, but still. No, intended uh, that, that Basically, I intended that, of <laughs> course. So, no, like they talked about it and they said like flat out, like if, if you think at the end of the day, we're, we're not CGing this. There's no, we're not even don't really have the capabilities fully of that. And they were adamant that Chris Evans had to be fully part of this. Like, you know, no matter what happened, if they can't accomplish that, like it was literally almost to the case that if we can't figure this out, we're not doing this movie. Hmm. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, we yeah. had seen we had seen this work to some capacity in like the Social Network, in the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, there had been you know work done in this in this line, uh, but th- they were asking for something kind of a little bigger than than those. And those, you know, they. You you know it, mileage may vary as to how well it works in those in well I, social network I think works really well but uh, Benjamin Button you know mileage may vary um, but in order to really create this character that you know the audience has to connect with right out of the gate I mean they were really kind of having to do something special well and especially because you uh, in addition to like okay you know none of the hobbits are running around without their shirts on. Right. <laughs> right. Like that's a totally different thing. You can do a lot of things in perspective shift and all these other things. Right. And but you can fudge it with clothing and costume and all this other stuff. No, you had you had to have him be a human male in mm-hmm. full light and it had to be believable and honest. I mean, it's unbelievable to me to watching this again that it still works. There's nothing you have to do to it. It's still completely believable. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, we I mean, we have to carry it on for like the full first half hour or so of the film. Right. So I mean, it really has right. to. Uh, we have to buy into it right out of the gate. 
Um, all right. So they're going up to the Stark Industries. We hear the announcer say, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Howard Stark. Now, <gasps> we're about to meet Howard Stark. We'll talk about him tomorrow. But I did want to throw this out to you because I think it's an interesting change in, in character direction as far as what they're doing with Howard Stark and in particular Connie. In the script, when they see the stage and everything's getting started, Connie says, oh, my God, there he is. And in the movie, she says, oh, my God, it's starting. Any thoughts on the change of that as far as like, I mean, hmm. were, were they trying to initially in the script make Howard like Tony? Because <laughs> that really feels like <laughs> oh, something that someone would say when it was Tony on stage. Yeah. Yeah, because we at this point, we had already we had already met Howard Stark. We knew who Howard Stark was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it just struck me as a funny little, it's it's such a minor change. And oh my God, it's starting. I mean, who cares? It's just one of those yeah. little things. But mm-hmm. if she had said, oh my God, there he is. Uh, like how funny would that have been to yeah. kind of like, it's it's Howard Stark. I, I don't know. It's, it may be one of those mm-hmm. things that I'm making too much of a big deal of, but I thought it was a funny thing. Oh no, I, yeah, I don't think so at all. No. Yeah. That's, it's interesting point. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the, it's uh, turning down the rock starness. Yes. Right. I mean, that's why you would make that change because, yeah, yeah right, I mean, right. if you say there he is, it's all about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right. On the stage, we see a 1941 Cadillac Series 62. Uh, these were cars that had fender skirts on the rear tires. They've been removed here. We And we'll find out why tomorrow. We'll talk about that. And we see some of the lovely ladies up on the stage, uh, the Stark girls. Uh, let's save all that for tomorrow. Do any of you have any last thoughts about anything else before tomorrow when we talk about Howard Stark and the Stark girls and everything else? No, take us to the future. I'm just excited about top hats. More top hats. <laughs> I'm wearing mine. <laughs> ah, the era of gentil chapeaux. Oh, we need more. We need that era again. I, I, I love having nice, fancy hats. Although a top hat does seem a little much. I can't imagine having to wear a top hat just to go out. Oh, they're not Rock comfortable, you, sir. They're not comfortable. <laughs> you know what? Neither are in. beards. Ah. <laughs> Neither are beards, and I can it... take a hat off. Nah, you, you only want one if it has a rabbit. That's it. <laughs> are we still talking about hats or beards? No, no never mind. Nah. <laughs> yeah, what do you have in that beard? It's rather robust. All right, Kyle and Rob, thank you again both so much for joining us here today. Uh, you're both going to be able to make it back for tomorrow for Minute 13. Yes. Howard wouldn't let us miss it. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Uh, remember, you can uh, find us on all of our socials. Just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. Click on the link for the social of your choice. Uh, we'd be glad to have you. And uh, Pete, thanks as always. I could do this all day. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.